I start my documentary saying a famous line that we use in our world, and it's that the dog may be men's best friend, but the horse helped write history. Like, what would be of mankind if we had not learned how to ride a horse? The evolution of mankind is attributed to, you know, fire and the horse. Like, we can't, we don't have claws, we're terrible hunters, we can't climb trees, we can't travel quickly, we, we have very terrible stamina, but the moment that man, you know, trained or broke, as we talk in, in the West, that first horse, and, and learn to work with it, it changed everything. And, and every statue of every country I crossed, you know, uh, when that country was liberated or when the Civil War was fought, it's a man on a horse. Howdy, and welcome to Horse People, a podcast diving into the stories behind some of the world's everyday questions. My goal is to weave a narrative about entrepreneurs, equine professionals, and horseback riders alike, and the stories about the lives they've built. I'm your host, Gideon Kutkowski. My name is Felipe Massetti Leite, and I'm a uh, filmmaker, author, uh, journalist, and long rider. Nice. Journalist, filmmaker, long rider. How did you get into that? <laughs> uh, I think it got into me. Like it's, uh, I'm a big believer in destiny and, and faith, and, and I believe everything's written by the same hand. Uh, and everything in my life just led me to this journey, you know, like I... Uh, my dad had me on the back of a horse before I could even walk. My name is Felipe because it means a friend of horses. And um, one of the first stories I remember as a, as a child is the story of Aim Chifley, um, a Swiss school teacher who in 1925 rode horseback from Argentina to New York. And that's where this whole dream came about of, of one day becoming a long rider. Um, and then as I got older, I, I developed a love for storytelling and writing and filming, um, started taking photography uh, classes when I was still in high school, dark room photography. And then that developed into filming my friends' parties and wanting to film everything. And, and then before I, I went to school for, for journalism uh, in Toronto, and then before I graduated, I had, uh, I had already cut two international docs, one in Peru, one in Kenya. And then um, my first big project professionally we'll call it was this uh this ride that i did across the americas and, and filming everything and writing about it damn i didn't know that part uh i didn't realize that you had already cut two international docs before you even set out to do your own journey that's pretty neat <laughs> yeah yeah i just i've i've always loved uh, filmmaking i feel like um you know documentaries and, and when you tell stories you have an, an ability to not only inform people of what's going on in the world uh, but also kind of, I feel like inspire them to get out of their homes and, and their, their um, safety and, and experiences, you know, this beautiful life and sometimes bring change to, to things they don't know about. So yeah, I've always uh, really enjoyed uh, telling stories. That's awesome. What were those first two docs about just out of curiosity? <laughs> yeah. Know. So the one in, the one in Peru uh, was shot in the sacred Valley and it's about uh, the double-edged sword that is volunteerism. You know, mm. one side of it is awesome. You get all these kids from university and take them down uh, for a couple of weeks and, and uh, you know, they get to experience the culture and meet the people and be on the ground and, and help someone out regardless of what it was, what it is, if you're doing a construction project or helping out at an, at an orphanage. But the other side of it is that, uh, you know, it, it creates this idea of the, of the white man coming to save the, the poor people in Latin America. And, and that's what it was about, you know, just talking about both sides of it, you know, the good and the bad. And it was very interesting. Uh, the second one was uh, about um, a, a village in Kenya um, called Dago de la Hara and uh, some, a, women, uh, a women's group trying to educate 
their fellow women about uh, HIV and AIDS. And, you know, uh, down there, they still use wife inheritance. You know, if I die, um, all of a sudden my wife will be inherited by my brother. Now I probably died of HIV and AIDS. She probably has. And now she is going to marry my brother and give it to him. And of course, polygamy is another big thing. So he has many wives and now he will spread it. So um, it was about that, about how these women were using education. This one woman, uh, Helena, who who denied being inherited and was the first woman to do so in her village. And that obviously cre- created an uproar, but it was a beautiful thing. And now she's using education in her story um, to inspire other women to do the same and kind of change uh, the reality of their village. Wow. Both very impactful. <laughs> it sounds like you were always drawn to these like really big, impactful stories. And then ultimately, Long Ride was like your first self-directed, so to speak. Is that right? Yeah, for sure. It's the first one that I think I, I'm in it, you know, as one of the subjects. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was the first the first big one. But I think there's a lot of themes of, uh, of the same magnitude within that documentary and that project. You know, I talk a lot about uh, the dichotomy between those who have and those who have not. Um, I talk about the horse as a means of therapy for people. Um, you know, I, I documented the the migrant workers that are walking up to to the U.S. from Central America and Mexico. I was in the home of a drug lord in, in Honduras and documented all that. What's happening with the war on drugs and in Latin America? So I think a lot of uh, of the same themes, but this time I was on a horse and, and filming myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's crazy. So I'm actually from El Paso, Texas. So the whole uh, nice. border scene and narco and drug lord stuff is pretty close to home so i i mean the the movie that the documentary that you ended up filming is like so interesting there's so many little pieces in the trailer and other areas that i just like can't wait to sit down and, and watch it <laughs> that's awesome el paso that's a beautiful part of the world as well so you mentioned that there was a, a a person that kind of inspired you that went from new york to argentina did you take that idea and say you know what like i can do this too and what an epic idea for a documentary or like how did like how did you go from oh that was really cool to you know what fuck it I'm gonna do it myself (laughs) (laughs) it was you know I always tell people it was very gradual it wasn't like I just woke up one day and was like you know like a movie where the guy just like shoots (laughs) up in the middle of the night it's like I'm gonna ride hordes across the Americas no it was uh, it was just like like I said it's the first story I remember my dad used to tell it to me when I was a little kid and it I don't know why like it just became my story like I loved it it was so inspiring to me and I was on my little horse as a kid imagining I was the guy you know crossing the Andes swimming rivers of crocodiles and getting to the U.S. you know more than two years later and then as I got older the horse was also always a constant in my life and a lot of things changed I moved to Canada when I was nine years old but but that story was still within me you know a year would go by a couple months and I would just think about it you know like oh my god is it possible while you're on a horse like holy crap, can you imagine like crossing countries on horseback, you know? And, uh, and then on my last year of university, it just became so strong that it was like, either I do this or I do nothing. And I started researching. I was like, is it still possible to do it today? Like are mm. people still doing this and found a website uh, called the Long Riders Guild. It's the only association of, uh, you know, that kind of groups together, these people that have jumped into the saddle and ridden off into the unknown from, Marco Polo and Charles Darwin to today uh, to people that are still doing it and saw that there were still people doing it all over the world and read their stories. And, and then it kind of became more real. And then I, the other side of it is that I saw an opportunity to document the, document the Americas that 
three kilometers an hour and 30 kilometers a day. You know, there's, there's no BS. Like you're, you're in people's homes. You, you rely on help to feed the horses. You need water, hay, uh, feed, you need a corral at night, you know? So it's not like any other form of transportation where you just lay down your bike at the end of the day or turn off your car and find a hotel. And, you know, on a, on a bicycle, people do 120 kilometers, 200 kilometers a day on a car. You can do a thousand when you're riding horseback, you see everything. You don't miss a single pebble. So it just, it was just natural. I was like, wow, what an amazing, you know, way to kind of document it through writing and, and film. And, and then I kind of took it out of me one day and, and created this project I wrote on Facebook. Um, I'm going to ride a horse from Canada to Brazil, uh, put aside all the fears I had, you know, it was obviously like people were going to call me crazy and they <laughs> did. Uh, didn't ri- realize what a monumental step that was, but today uh, reading about the brain and, and how it works, you know, I realized that there are neurological studies that prove that when you write something down, you're much more likely to live it. And uh, that was my moment of taking that first real step. And then right after that, there was accountability. So I had to do it. And I, I glued Bristol board all over my apartment on the walls of the, of the room where I was living and started writing everything down, making lists, strategic planning. And um, yeah, after two years, I acquired everything I needed from the equipment to the knowledge um, and, and took that first physical step. Yeah, no, that's nuts. Uh, it's funny. You, you say like you wrote, you wrote it down on Facebook and it all of a sudden became real, right? It's like, one 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 steep one step just kind of leads to the other and that step then leads to the next and yeah <laughs> next thing you know two years later you're on a horse riding down from Canada <laughs> exactly and I, and I think that that's the that's that like I always say that's the true first step and I think that that's the first step that keeps a lot of people just dreaming and not doing you know because it is scary um we have uh you know we're wired and our brains are wired in our, our central nervous system to keep us safe. It's evolution, right? So once upon a time, once we lived in caves and there was tigers and bears that would eat us, your brain would tell you to stay inside by the fire because whatever's out there is dangerous, right? So that continues to this day, that little voice we hear, don't do it. Well, you're going to die. What if this happened? What if people laugh at you? You're going to fail. And then people kind of don't even try, you know, and that's so sad. Um, to me, because I went through it, I see how it is. I know it's hard. And then the people around you, you know, once you beat that voice, then the people around you are going to be the voices that say, don't do it. You're going to die. You're throwing your life in the garbage. So I went through all that. And today I realized how, um, how powerful that is to get across that wall um, and take that first physical step. So I always try to push people and, and shake them up and tell them that the first step is, is the most important thing. And, and that's, you know, a big theme in my documentary. I think it's, People are able to see that, holy crap, this kid at 27 years old was able to, you know, create this huge project, undertake it and go and do it. Why can't I go to university or start my business or, or change jobs? You know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I just was on Instagram right before this and uh, I read a quote by Tony Parker. I don't know how it popped up on my feed, but he said, if people don't laugh at your dreams, you're not dreaming big enough. And I was like, wow, what a perfect quote before I talked to Felipe. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent, man. hundred percent. If people like tell you it's normal, then guess what? You're not dreaming big enough. And, and I also, uh, there's another quote that a guy said once is that dreaming doesn't cost anything. So for you to dream this big or this big is the same price. So mm-hmm. you might as well go big or go home. Right. So totally agree with them. They're a great quote. Question for you. Like w- what advice do you have for someone who's like struggling to take that first step? You know, I think speaking from 
personal doubt and also i'm sure there's a bunch of other people who have that question i think number one is uh knowing who you are you know i value self-knowledge so much today i always tell people like um i had a physical x on my map right let's talk about a journey a physical journey i was going from canada to brazil on that first long ride if i didn't have that x on the map how would i ever have gotten there right i'd still be doing loops around calgary and our lives our internal journeys are the same way you know what i mean like if you don't know where you want to go, what makes you happy, who you truly are, how are you going to get there ever? So I think that's the number one step. You know, it's actually reflecting. We live in a hyper-connected world. It's, you know, we're on Facebook, it's TikTok, it's work. It seems like, you know, it's Thanksgiving, all of a sudden it's Christmas and it's Christmas again. And it's like, holy shit, where's where's the time going? You know, you barely have time to um, to think. So I think it's it's really important to take those moments, you know, to, to step back and, and, and whether it's camping or, or going on a bike ride or riding a horse, taking the, that moment to talk to yourself. A lot of times when you put your head on the pillow, you know, am I truly happy? Like, where do I want to get, you know? And then once you have that answer, then you start that strategic planning. And I think strategic planning is what makes it less scary because the more, you know, the more prepared you are, you know what I mean? So it isn't a question or, oh, what if I don't have water for the horses? Well, boom, you have this answer. Well, what if I can't find a place to camp? Well, you have your high line and your tent. So, you know, what if this, oh, I talked to Bernice Andy who did this before for 10 years and she told me that that's what I need to do. Oh, I read in that book. So I think it's about preparation and preparing your mind, preparing your body, preparing your soul for whatever it is that you want to undertake. You know, it's not an adventure. It's a calculated risk. You know, it's not about quitting your job today at 5 p.m. and, and tomorrow figuring out what you, you want to do. It's about an overlap, right? I didn't quit the jobs that I had um, to pay my bills, you know, before I got everything I needed to set off. It was like slowly I started winding down from one to, to take on the next. Once I had everything I needed and I had the money, I'd sold the project to the production company. They'd given me the horses, the saddle, the pack saddle. Then I quit the jobs and I went and followed my dreams. So I think it's about taking calculated risk, preparing yourself, but it all starts with knowing what is it that you truly want to do 110%. What is your purpose? Because I think once you have that, it allows you to give your all and, and make it all happen. Yeah, that's, that's hard to get to though. I feel like some, for some people, right? Like that's, that's the biggest challenge I feel like often can be, how do I know what the X for me is, you know, for you, it might've been Brazil at that moment, but, um, like, what is it for you? What is it for me? Right. Like what's the next hundred yeah, percent. <laughs> and some people will never know, you know what I mean? And, and that's okay too. You know, I think if, uh, you know, it's all about finding your happiness. Like I have a lot of friends that work nine to five, all my friends do. I'm the only one that lives this crazy life. And, and there's <laughs> a lot of sacrifices that come from it. You know, I have friends that, that have things that I don't have that I'm not able to have due to the choice that I made to live this life and, and live my dream and my purpose. And, and that's okay. I like, if that's what makes them happy, they're happy. And that's awesome. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean it's not my happiness and my happiness is not their happiness. So, but I think ultimately it's that it's trying to reflect. It's uh, it's trying to, to understand what makes you happy. And I think that it's not going to be on the first, second or third day. It might take a year. It might take 10 years, but just continuing to, to um, search for that knowledge and that self-awareness and, and, and try to find out, you know, what makes your heart beat. I think that that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, totally. That's, that's really good advice. And, and 
really inspiring too, actually. <laughs> uh, maybe motivational speakers on your on your list of things that you should do too. <laughs> That's my job. That's what pays the bills today. It's funny, but I think every explorer um, that you talk to, the only reason that they live the lives they live is is I, you know, through writing. Uh, books, but a, a big a big chunk is motivational speaking. So um, that's what I do today. I, I I go to Brazil about once a month and uh, speak to large firms, sales teams, universities. I just went to the um, National Cowboy Museum in Oklahoma to to speak there this past weekend. So um, everyone listening, if you want to be an explorer, an adventure one day, know that you will have to uh, to speak about it. So start practicing because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you won't be able to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Reminds me of the, um, the, I don't know if you, if you've ever read the book, it's the, the Shackleton, the, yes. um, the Shackleton yes. book. So, yes, so it's, it's like that, right? Like, man, if you do this epic journey and live to tell the tale, like that's the, that's the, the treasure, right? Almost. That's it, buddy. That's it. That's what you, uh, that's how you, those are the little bricks. Every kilometer is the little bricks you're adding um, to your pension plan or your castle or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. And then you get to share it. You know, you create um, something that didn't exist, right? It, it goes from dream um, to a physical, real story that people can read or watch or, or hear you tell. And uh, how cool is that? You know, like that's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that is pretty cool. So, you know, I, I have these questions that I sent you before, but I'm, I'm really curious, like now that you're talking about it and, and obviously like this story is, is a story that you tell often. I'm curious, like, what are the questions that you wish people asked you that they don't? Or well, or it's funny. I'll, I'll, I'll go the opposite. The one question that I wish people didn't ask me, um, which people ask me all the time is probably the 99% that I get is how's your ass. And it's like, <laughs> It's like, wow, I'm like, I'm probably going to be the only long rider you're ever going to get opportunity to be in front of. You're talking to a person that has traversed the Americas from Alaska to Ushuaia at three kilometers an hour. And that's what you're going to ask me. How is my ass? It's like, but I've gotten used to it. My fiance, Clara, wants to like, just like hockey player, like Jersey people and just start like pounding them in the face. And I'm just like, nah, it isn't. It's the world we live in today, you know, and it's it's funny, but it's just kind of sad. But um, what do I wish people would ask me? I guess I would, I wish they would ask me like, how how do I, like, how do I live my dream? Like, how do I go after my project? Can you help me with that? How did you do yours? You know, because I have this project that I really want to do. And, and sometimes like we talked about at the beginning, I am scared or I don't know how to. Um, that's one um maybe about the horses you know what was it like you know living alongside these horses for for so many years um what was it like asking people to help you every day you know for eight years um you know through 12 countries what are the countries like you know what what's the most beautiful place you saw i guess yeah. anything whatever as long as it's not how is your ass or you know what i mean like that's yeah. just like to me <laughs> like come on like that's that's the best you can come up with <laughs> that's fair that's fair so speaking of that, I, I do have a question because um, I I took the first step and I signed up for this long ride. It's called the Mongol Derby. Nice. I've heard about it. It's something I'd love to. It's on my bucket list. I'd love to do it one day. Oh, okay. Nice. Well, maybe uh, I can help facilitate that now that I've gone through the nice. process and stuff. Have you been? You've been there? No, I've never been. It has been on my bucket list. I have pictures all over my apartment. Uh 
for three years it's been kind of like a like a visual like a vision what is it called a vision board vision board yeah yeah and I finally made enough money to the point where I feel comfortable like taking the leap and I hit up my buddy who's there and I said hey like I think I'm ready man like let's set it up and he he was like all right if you're ready let's do it so I sent it 2024 is when I go um ideally I'd like to get sponsors and I'd like to get people to help you know with that with that journey like how did you do that and for me like this podcast is kind of a way to like leverage an audience into that yeah of course how how would you recommend someone that's gonna go on this journey let like okay sure it's me but like generally speaking like how do you how do you get the funds to do something like that crazy so there's there's different avenues today a big one it's crowd it's crowd surfing right like uh, crowdfunding so mm-hmm. um this crazy idea that a bunch of really kind human beings will donate a little bit or a lot and together they will help you reach a common goal right to live your dream so i did that at the beginning and i think i, I managed to raise like two thousand dollars or something which gave me a great like kickstart kickstart is one of them but literally uh it kickstarted my my um my project because i was able to shoot a pilot i was able to print these t-shirts with the root and send it to production companies all around the world and and uh, devote more time towards the project so that's one avenue which is which is great and especially like you're saying if you're able to build an audience and kind of find people that also love that world so horse people obviously um you know if they give you if if they give you $5 or $10, but if you get a thousand people to give you, that's real money. Right. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a very common one that I used at the beginning and it helped me tremendously. And the second I think is creating a product that has value to it. So how do you sell a dream? Like, how was I going to sell my dream? It's like selling a bridge, like it's non-existent. So you have to prove to people why they need to get from point A to point B, why they have to cross that river. And what I did is because I'm a journalist, I created this project to film a reality series and a documentary. So I wasn't selling um, a dream anymore. I was selling a production. This is real. Like this is something that people can understand. You know what I mean? And, and so I went to production companies all over the world and pitched this project to them. They all said no until after two years and, and hundreds of no's, I got one yes. A production company out of Nashville called NC2 Media bought the project and I filmed everything for them. So the idea is, you know, asking people for money, you're, you're offering them a service or a product. So maybe um, you're going to use, a, just an example, a water purifier out there, and you're going to, you know, film stuff for, for their, this water purifier company, social media, and you're going to create content, and you're going to do lives for them, and you're going to prove that it's the best water purifier system in the world to have when you're far away places. So all of a sudden these people see a value in that. You're not just asking them for money. There's an exchange for that money. So I think it's all about getting creative and, uh, and finding out ways and companies that fits uh, the niche and then, um, and then selling it to them. So whether you're wearing a patch and your shirt, or you're going to take these products out there and test it. I think um, there's a lot of value today in, in these stories that are being told in real time. You know what I mean? It's no longer a commercial where it's like, you know, use my glass. My glass is the best. Look at it. Drink it. <laughs> no, they want real life experience. Like, holy shit, Felipe used this glass in Mexico when he was crossing the Chihuahua Desert. You know what I mean? All of a sudden you get a real story attached to a product. 
So mm-hmm. I think for you, it's just about, um, you know, thinking outside the box and figuring out what those companies are and, and reaching out to them and, and showing them that, you know what I mean? This is a real deal. Yeah. That's, that's really good advice. And I think the, the whole exchange of, of content and the exchange of like actually proving that their product works in a remote place yeah. with a, with a writer, it's like, I mean, it's a thousand kilometers for me. It's a lot for you. It's probably just a, a no man. It's not for anybody, bro. No, no, it's not <laughs> thousand kilometers a thousand kilometers no matter who you are especially with horses i i know exactly what that's like (laughs) Um, no that's that's really good advice i appreciate it speaking of horses you got two horses donated to you right um what were their names dude and and buck was it no so i got uh, to start the trip i got uh, two horses donated frenchie and bruiser from two ranches in montana and then uh, i ended up getting a third horse uh, named dude um, from the Charles Pueblo, um, native reserve, a friend of mine, Karen Hardy, an amazing American who I'd met, uh, she had actually trained the horse and she managed to get that horse to me. And then I, uh, on that first ride, I ended up riding those three horses and my kids all the way to Brazil and retired them on my, uh, my family's ranch down there outside of Sao Paulo. Nice. So Frenchie, Bruiser and dude, like if you, when you started with Frenchie and Bruiser, you didn't know them, right? They were just donated to you from a ranch in Montana. So how, yeah. how was that? Like, how did you prepare them to go on this? I keep saying epic journey. I literally can't think of something else. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so epic. Thanks brother. Uh, no, like that was, uh, again, that was um, part of the problem, the solution, the obstacles, <laughs> like because of my lack of money, people always say like, in Brazil, people are always like, there's a huge mule culture in Brazil. So I was like, you're an idiot. Why won't you take mules? I was like, because I don't have fucking money. Like, if you were there to give me mules eight years ago, I would have ridden mules. But I didn't have money. Obviously, I was riding two quarter horses that were built for um, speed, agility, and uh, competition. So they have, they have tiny bones. They have tiny meat. They have tiny little feet. It wasn't the proper horses to go on this journey. But guess what? You know what I mean? I was going to take whatever cards were handed to me and make it work. And I think that that's another... Uh, important thing to say people always want the perfect they always want it to be it's not going to be perfect it's you're gonna have to make do with what you have and that's what i did the other part of it is that due to a lack of funding i met these horses seven days before i was to start and frenchy hadn't been ridden in years and the first time i went to work with him he bucked like a bronc threw me off broke my finger ripped my pants i was like holy crap like how am i going to leave the largest rodeo in canada in seven days when I can't even get on this horse or put a pack on him. And uh, that's when I got to work. You know, I think being a cowboy, um, number one, you don't quitting is not an option. You learn that very at a very young age, you work with animals in the land and uh, you, you just can't quit. You know, there's no weekends, there's no holidays. You got to feed that animal. You got to wake up at 6am. You, you, and whatever time you get home, you got to feed them, make sure they have water. Um, and the second part is hard work and, and work ethic. And uh, I just worked my ass off for those seven days until Frenchie, um, you know, allowed me to put the pack saddle on his back and, and I was able to start the journey. So it was very hard, um, to, to kind of get to know these animals, to connect with them in such a short period of time. Um, Frenchie was completely insane. Uh, so that added to the problem, but slowly, but surely we all figured it out and kind of became our own little herd. I always say those horses became like an extension of my body. Um, you know, we were a team, but we were much more than that. We were family and they're like my kids. I only ate after they'd eaten. I only drank water after they had a drink of water. And, 
and uh, they were my number one utmost responsibility uh, from the point I left from from to the point I arrived in Brazil. Yeah, that's insane. I can't imagine like the bond that you create with them over the course of just spending a, like you know spending every day with them for you, yeah. you said it was like over two years, right? About eight hundred or some days. Yeah, exactly. Two years and three months. And yeah, you, you sleep next to them, you wake up next to them, you eat with them, you like you do it, you ride them every day. And and you you know, they're as much as much as you are keeping them safe, they are as well. There was an incident of a bear in Montana. They smelled the bear way before I saw it and ended up stopping. They wanted getting agitated, wanted to run back the other way, but luckily they stopped because a grizzly came out just right in front of us. And if we were still moving at the pace we were, he may have come out right where we were so there was a lot of that you know their instincts they they have the sixth sense that we've lost as, as as humans um that's very wild and and uh yeah it's just amazing like the you know that's one of the, the most beautiful parts of this of this entire experience um is is living so closely to an animal in the 21st century when as you know we live in you know in, in walls and confined outside of nature and and they're com- getting completely disconnected from the natural world, which is very scary, right? Yeah, totally. And I'm curious, actually, so you grew up with horses, your whole story is around horses, but how did your relationship with horses change after having, you know, Bruiser and Frenchie for two years and then eventually dude, like every day, like I can only imagine <laughs> like that your perspective changes, but I don't know, does it? Yeah, I think, um, I think it teaches you like a lot of patience, you know, and uh, it just, it gives you, I think, a better understanding um, of the connection that, you know, we're able to have with these animals is, you know, this connection between man and, and, and beast. And um, I also think it, you're able to see their, their characteristics and like, they're just like people, right? Like they, they, they have these personalities that sometimes we're not able to kind of see because we don't spend enough time around them or, you know, we're not sleeping with them. We may feed them and go into the house. There's this disconnect. So um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of things you take from it. And I always say they, I think feel like these horses made me a better human being. Um, and, uh, and they've left a, a mark on me for the, for the rest of my life. You know, they, they've changed me as a person. Um, and I, I, I value that relationship so much and, and just being around them for, for such long periods of time, understanding how, how strong these animals, animals really are. You know what I mean? Like the mountains, I saw them, them traverse the deserts, the days we didn't have water and they wouldn't drink until the next afternoon. We were out there in the middle of the Chihuahua desert looking for water. But I think patience is, uh, is, is the biggest one empathy. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's very, the other cool thing about what I do, what I did is that, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, I had a, I was a tie down roper before I used to rope in the rodeos. And I think in the horse world, we're always trying to get horses to do what we want. You know, you gotta, you gotta get the horse to sit quietly in the box. And then you gotta get the horse to come out tearing ass really quick. And then you rope and you gotta get them to sit down and stop and then start trotting back. So when you get to the calf, the cat, the rope is tight. And then when you flank the calf, the horse has to stop going backwards because now you need to tie the calf comfortably and not have it move or struggle. Um, and those are natural to the horse. You know what I mean? These are things we're teaching it, putting it in a box, but, but when you get on a top of a horse and just give it its reins and say, walk, um, it's so natural. They do that. They've done that for, for thousands of, of years, uh, looking for water and feed, you know, they're, 
Um, so, so that was really cool to just let them do what horses do. Um, it was, was really neat as well. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> so what were they like? What was Frenchie like? You, you mentioned Frenchie he was, was, she was crazy. Frenchie was, but... Yeah. Frenchie was crazy. He was a mess. Frenchie was like the comedic relief of the group. Um, he was built like the rock Dwayne Johnson, but he looked like Brad Pitt. He was <laughs> absolutely stunning um he he farted all the time he snored while he slept uh when he, he he eats he drops all the feed out of his mouth no matter how many times you float his teeth and do his teeth he just he's just a mess he's a mess and he's hilarious he's just uh he would just make me laugh but he has so much heart um and he's wild you know what i mean like he like i said he almost killed me before i started when i finished we let him rest for three months my dad went to get on him and he bucked broke my dad's foot my dad's leg in two places like just my dad was yeah my dad never walked the same again so that's Frenchie you know like he he will he will take you but um you know he he's he's always going to be wild you know you're never going to cut that spirit out of him but that's what I needed I needed that heart and that spirit to to go on a journey like this yeah that's awesome what about Bruiser Bruiser is like the 007 of the group. He's just super intelligent, like the, the smartest horse I've ever gotten on, super sleek. This beautiful Soro quarter horse, Dash for Cash um, is his bloodline. And he's just so, ele- you know, he, he he's so elegant the way he's put together. He's perfect. He's a perfect specimen. Like you look at him, you're like, wow. And he's so tall. And, and, um, and, and at the same time, he just kind of reads your mind. Like he just knows um, what you want to do, but he can be hard headed as well uh if he feels like he knows better than you he's gonna fight and try to prove uh you wrong but just a horse um built for a king like the best horse i've ever um had the opportunity to ride in my life and i I feel blessed to to have ridden that horse and and gotten to know him oh that's so cool that is so cool and then um dude you said you got kind of throughout the trip dude was a mustang is that did you mention that or did i make that up yeah no yeah dude was a, a mustang yeah so that was super cool to have that was, you know. oh sorry what what was it like having like two quarter horses and a mustang how different were they in in terms of like resiliency in terms of you know character oh completely different like uh dude um dude was uh his resiliency was like another level of shit like I saw him like roll down a mountain once, three times. I'm like, oh my God, he gets up, shakes and starts grazing. Oh like, Jesus Christ. If that happened to Frenchie or Bruiser, like especially Bruiser, who was the more fragile of the three, like he would have been like unable to ride for like a month. He would have like, you know, something would have inflated. He, he would have been off, you know, and, and uh, yeah, like it was just, he, dude was like a, a tank you know, uh, literally a tank. And, and he was kind of like the police of the horses. It was so crazy. Like if I put them out in a pasture, friendship bruiser would always be like glued to each other. And mm-hmm. then dude would kind of be off in the distance and wouldn't let any of the other animals come around French and bruiser. Uh, dude had a, a phobia of mules. Like he absolutely was so scared and hated mules. Like anytime he saw a mule from afar or close, he would like jump ridges, like want to run off. Um, so that was really funny, but uh, he was just an amazing horse and he took the heat better than any other horses. He took the cold, he took the mountains. He was just so strong. It's unbelievable. You know, that uh, um, it's all about, um, 
this generation and generation of the strongest survive, right? Um, and that's that's a natural way of, of developing these like super strong animals. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've gotten into I've been watching some shows about mustangs and stuff, and it's just so interesting, like how yeah. how like intense they they are. These are like really crazy crazy horses. Um, and yeah, so they're that's, amazing. That's interesting. I'm curious. For from your perspective, you were writing down. You you mentioned the Chihuahuan Desert, but one of the things that you also said earlier was, you know, you're riding 30 kilometers a day, three kilometers an hour. You don't miss a pebble, right? You see everything, and you rode from Toronto to Brazil. What was your top three favorite, like most insane things you saw? <laughs> Um, so I, I lived in Toronto, but I, I rode from Calgary, from the Calgary Stampede to Brazil oh, okay. and the three most ins- like, oh, there's so much stuff, but, um, like in terms of natural beauty, I'd say, um, the Yellowstone national park, like mm. was just insane, um, to cross the back country, the Chihuahua desert and the Pantanal in Brazil. Uh, the wetlands was just uh, the amount of the amount of like biodiversity and and just um, just to be out there, you know, traveling so slowly was was just an amazing opportunity. Um, grizzly bear um, stayed in the home of a drug lord uh, for three days in Honduras. What was that uh, like? Sh- oh, wait, um, I stopped you before you said you said you saw two people shot. You were shot dead. Witnessed a guy trying to kill his wife uh, at the home I was staying at. Uh, being in the home of the drug lord, it was insane, man. It was a mansion in the middle of the mountains in between Guatemala and Honduras. Um, it was like a compound. Everything was um, had this tall wall around it. Everyone was heavily armed, like AK-47s, automatic weapons, kids that are like nine years old, uh, already packing. He had a, a petting zoo in his house, um, a lot of wealth. And um, I couldn't look in his eyes. Like he was very kind to me and nice and, and brought me in his home. I slept in his home, um, treating me like family, but his eyes were like mate black. Like, you know, usually when you're speaking to someone, their eyes have like a, a spark, you know, a light, his didn't. And it just, you could tell how much like evil it, it harbored, but um, it was just, uh, you know, it was just so interesting to see that someone that, you know, could be so evil and bad was also so good around me and, and his family, you know, he'd be like, Oh, my son's going to be an astronaut one day. He's so intelligent and the love he had for his wife. And, um, it was just insane. It was wild. You know, it's an experience that, uh, I think very few people will have. And it was awarded to me by the horse. You know, one of the big themes of this is that, uh, the war, the horse is a common language. The horse breaks down borders and the horse brings people together. You know what I mean? And, and everyone that helped me, all the, the hundreds of families that opened their homes to me um, in these 12 countries that I crossed, they were opening the homes first to the horses. They wanted to help Frenchie, Bruiser, and Dude. Um, and then they got to know me, and then they helped me, and then we became, you know, brothers and, and family. But it all started with the horses, and those drug lords love horses. They raise some of the best Spanish horses in, in Latin America, and, and, uh, and that's the reason why they took me in and gave me uh, safe passage. Wow. It's, it is interesting how horses kind of break down barriers, right? It, I find it fascinating how each culture in the world has their own unique perspective on horses and, and each breed was, you know, bred for something. And, you know, the Mustang is the spirit of the West. And then there's the Arabians 
there's the, Mon yep. the Mongol little ponies, right? Like all these different kinds of horses and all these different cultures that, you know, I want to say like uh, worship them or, or look up to them or, or value them. Right. 100%. And if, like, I start my documentary saying a famous line that we use in our world, and it's that the dog may be men's best friend, but the horse helped write history. Like, what would be of mankind if we had not learned how to ride a horse? You know, you, you, like, the evolution of mankind is attributed to, you know, fire and the horse. Like, we can't, we don't have claws. We're terrible hunters. We can't climb trees. We can't travel quickly. We, we have very terrible stamina. But the moment that man, um you know trained or broke as we talk in, in the west that first horse and and learned to work with it it changed everything and and every statue of every country i crossed you know uh, when that country was um liberated or when the civil war was fought it's a man on a horse mm -hmm. um you know they they plowed our fields they went to war for us they were even a source of food for some cultures and and even during wars um you know the cavalry the importance the horse played in the cavalry so, yeah, I think we owe a lot to the horse um, because it, it changed the, the outcome of, of, of civilization and, and the Americas, the countries you live in the United States. I'm in Canada right now or whether I'm in Brazil or Mexico, everything we enjoy is thanks to the horse. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> that is so crazy. So, you know, you've, you've done on, you've done this amazing ride. You're, you're talking about it now. It's like, you know, I would argue it's, uh, probably more impressive for a horse person that you've done new, um, Calgary to Brazil than, than hiked Everest. Uh, <laughs> so I'm curious, like, you know, once that you've, once you've done this, this crazy trip, like what's next for you, you know, like what, what, what comes next? What's your next X on your map? So when I got to Brazil, um, because of several things that happened in my life, I under, I underwent a second long ride from, uh, from Brazil to the Southern tip of Argentina to Ushuaia. So I went as far as I could in the Americas. And then two years ago, I did the last stretch, which was from Alaska to Calgary. So today I'm the youngest person in the world to cross the Americas uh, from north to south on these three different rides. Um, next is the, we just, we, we are finishing now coming to the tail end of this, uh, um, the documentary going to different festivals. It's been unbelievable. We've won uh, nine awards so far. And um, just, you know, the, the film is screened in places like Mumbai, India, uh, all over the United States, uh, Brazil, Canada. So that's been extraordinary. I just released my third book, um, Last Long Ride, which talks about um, the last stretch from Alaska to Calgary. It became a number one, number one bestseller on Amazon uh, this past weekend. So that was cool. Nice, congrats. Uh, yeah, thanks. So that's <laughs> awesome. You know, you put so much work into um, into all of this, it's, it's very nice when you get to share it with people and know that that people are enjoying it. And um, now they're going to do a, a narrative version, a, a film, um, like a biopic on my first book, uh, Long Ride Home, which is the ride from Calgary to Brazil. So the script is ready and I'm working with uh, the production company um, to make it as real as possible. And I'll be there while they're shooting it. The idea is to start shooting um, next year. Um, and it's going to be about three months to shoot the film. We're going to shoot it in Canada, Mexico, and Brazil. And then that will come out in uh, 2024. And uh, my ex, my main ex, the end goal, which has always been my end goal. This is all just kind of uh, me walking up the ladder ever so slowly, uh, three kilometers an hour, is to have my own travel show, um, Anthony Bourdain style. Um, 
great late Anthony Bourdain, rest in peace. But instead of showing um, uh, culture through food, I want to show culture through um, small towns, rural communities, farms and ranches, um, and the cowboys, the vaqueros, the charros, uh, the gauchos. So uh, travel the world, whether it's Mongolia or China or the US, Canada, Brazil. Um, yeah, show culture through the horse and, and uh, rural communities. Oh, wow. That's that's so sick <laughs> yeah, uh, man that's that's awesome i when i tell you uh, that in my little diary of ideas i don't know it's somewhere it's probably my bedroom or something my my goal is to like what it's it's written not a goal necessarily but something that i'd love to do one day is to do something like that right like a netflix show of of horse culture you know that's just awesome. because it's so fascinating so i'm glad that that you're doing that. And, and I think it's, it's so cool. So, uh, you know, please let me know how I can help there. I'd love to, to Thanks, be a small brother. part of, of, uh, of that. I think that that's, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. So, you know, just kind of wrapping it up here. I have a couple of questions for you. And, um, basically there's three more questions and then uh, two more questions and then I'll, I'll go into like this rapid fire for the last okay. five or so minutes. So, um, you know, I think one, what, something that I selfishly always ask because I'm always really curious about it is you, we, we learn most from our failures, right. And we learn, we learn more, most from people saying no and, and stuff like that. So I was curious from your perspective, like what's been one of your biggest failures so far in your career and, and how did you overcome it? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest failures in my career was um, when I was about to arrive in Ushuaia, Argentina. I was five days from the end, and uh, I lost one of my horses from that journey. He had a terrible uh, intoxication due to uh, these alfalfa cubes that this rancher gave to us, and uh, it developed into a colic. Both horses had it. We ended up uh, we ended up saving one, uh, but uh, Sapito, the second horse, uh, passed away. So that was very tragic for me, just being so close to the end. You know, this was a, a journey of um, uh, seventy five hundred kilometers. I'm not sure how many miles, five thousand miles, let's say, um, a year and a half, and then five days to the end. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, and uh, you know, I wanted to quit. I, I a lot of things went through my mind. I just you know, didn't understand why I lost that horse. I blame myself, you know, why did I accept the cubes and how, what could I have done differently? But uh, yeah, that's the biggest one. You know, when you, when you do this, I used, I, I ended up riding 11 different horses and, um, and I lost one. So, you know, that's a huge failure for me. I, when, when you go on this, it's like going to war, right? You want everyone to come home safely and um, horses are very strong, but at the same time, they can be terribly fragile, you know, horses colic and, in multi-million dollar ranches, you know, all the time and with the best feed and, and, you know, cameras in their stalls. So, you know, it is what it is. I've gone, you know, you get through it and you realize that it could happen anywhere. You know what I mean? It was just something that, you know, we all have a, a beginning, a middle and an end on this earth. And I think that his journey came to an end at that moment for whatever reason, but that's something I, I look at as a failure and it uh, still bothers me, obviously. And I think it always will. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. That must've been really tough. Yeah, that was, that was the the thought that comes to mind is like I, I imagine that at that point you were like, 
do I finish it or, or do I kind of like respect the horse and, and the ride there? Right. Like, yeah, ultimately you decided to finish it. What was the, what pushed you to the end? You know, you were only five days away. I think that like uh, Picasso, the other horse that had done, you know, had gone there, like it wasn't fair to him to, to stop there. I think, you know, when I, when I'm on these journeys that you end up taking a lot of people with you and their dreams and, and their hardships. And they kind of look at you, as an example, and it's, it becomes much bigger than you or the horse or anything else that, that was ever the reason to start, you know? So I think that you're an example to people and everyone goes through moments, you know, people lose their parents, people lose their kids and uh, they can't give up, right. They have to continue. So I think that uh, ultimately that, you know, after talking to my parents, my family, my, my fiance, I just realized that, you know, it just wasn't fair to anybody um, to stop there. And, and we had to finish the journey and, and we did. Nice. Well, congrats again on that. I know uh, it happened a while ago, but congrats on finishing and, and really sorry Thank to you. Hear you lost them. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. Um, so my last question for you before we go into the rapid fire is like, what kind of trends are you seeing in the equine industry today that, that you feel that more people should be aware of or, or be thinking about? I think trail riding, it's cool to see, you know, I don't think it's had, it's happened uh, overnight. I think it's something that it's, has started years ago. I, I, when I was doing my journey in 2012, um, I think it was about 2013. They, yeah, 2013, because one of the, one of uh, the horses came from Stan Weaver, who uh, became the president of the quarter horse association while I was doing my ride and, and, and kind of inspired by me or not, whatever. He started this um, point system for trail riders within the quarter horse association. So, you know, I thought that was really cool. And that was 10 years ago. And now you're seeing through COVID a lot more people, um, you know, going on trail rides and buying horses to go on trail rides. And, and I think, like I said, it's such a natural uh, way to connect with an animal. I love the sports world. You know, I love jumping and I love dressage. And I used to tie down rope. I'm a big fan of rodeo. I love raining, cutting, whatever you name it. And I, I see the value in all of them. But it's cool to see that uh, trail riding is growing so much uh, worldwide in Brazil as well. Um, it's growing a lot. And I think it's, uh, it's good for horses. It's good for people. And I think it's also good for our natural spaces, you know, because when you have more people going out into these wild open spaces, um, it will, I think, ensure that we preserve them and keep them the way they are for, for more generations. So I see it as a win-win and, and I love that trend. And I think it's only going to grow. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I feel remiss not to mention that the one sport you didn't, I didn't hear you say was polo. And, uh, because that's the sport I play, I was like, man, you gotta, nice. you gotta, we gotta put you on a horse and play some polo to see. No, I played polo before I am <laughs> terrible at hitting the ball, but I'm a great defenseman. I guess like, <laughs> you gotta throw my horse into people. You fucking can't make this all yeah. day, baby. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I love polo, big fan, big fan of Gambiasso, everything. Uh, you know, the Argentines are obviously, uh, kind of my favorites because I'm, I live close to them and. And uh, Clara, my fiance, is from Argentina. Um, so yeah, big fan of polo. I think uh, I think it's awesome. And I, I would have loved to have been born into a polo family and uh, been a great player. But I think it's one of those things like surfing. It's you know it's, it's a little late for me, but um, hey, let's go play some polo, man. Anytime you want to play around, <laughs> and I'd love to come and, and just uh, joke around with you for sure. Yeah, man, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, I didn't grow up in a polo family either, but man, I wish I had, I would have been much better than I am right now. And, uh, but at least, at least being, um, you know, I, I kind of worked my way into polo and it, it definitely does, does its, 
magic and, and opening up the world of, of people and, and oh yeah horses and all of that. So shout out to that. Um, all right, man. Well, the last few questions here, is it okay if we go like five minutes over or do you have a hard stop? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Okay, cool. So do you have a favorite horse you've ever ridden? Uh, you're not supposed to tell your kid your favorite one, but Bruiser is my favorite for sure. Okay. <laughs> nice. I won't tell him. I won't tell him. All right. All right. Uh, <laughs> do you have a favorite place you've ever ridden? Patagonia. Mm. Any specific part around Patagonia? Uh, yeah. Um, the desert in Santa Cruz, like it just, it was like riding on the moon. Like it was just so drastic and, and dramatic and, and, crazy beautiful like the sunsets and the sunrises the colors the rock formation um yeah it was it was super cool that's awesome knowing what you know now what's one piece of advice you would have given yourself your younger self uh don't contemplate the naysayers don't listen to them just you're on the right track uh, just give it hell don't don't sweat over it nice and then um, two more. What is who is one person you'd like to meet and have dinner with, and and why? Like, if you have your dream dinner guest, who would that be? Are they do they have to be alive, or could they be no, dead? dead or alive? Well, dead or alive, eh? Okay, dead would be Aang Chifley, obviously the guy that inspired me, and uh, alive would be Putin, so I could shoot him. <laughs> That's, that's a very pragmatic and practical answer i appreciate it i'd love that if i could just yeah, that'd be that cool. you'd, you'd be famous for two things now such an idiot um okay so last question and um i'm I, i'm curious and this is kind of like the whole point of the show is like what what makes horses special to you uh what makes horses special to me i think that um horses are like kids you know they uh they're they're they give you 100 percent truth and uh we live in a world today where that's so hard to find and come by um that's what i value most you know they're just if they don't like you you know if they're not happy you know um they're so pure of heart and you know and the ability that that we have to literally connect with them like avatar, you know, literally plug in and, um, and work for a common goal and, and feel that connection, you know, whether you're playing polo or, or riding a horse uh, long distance. And I think also their ability to, to be a therapist, you know, an amazing therapist. You hear this all the time from people like I have so much stress in my life. And then I get out there, ride my horse and I forget about it all. And I think it's because you have to be connected. You know, you can, you can drive and text, although you shouldn't, you can do so many things that you multitask today that it's so hard to find something that you actually have to be a hundred percent there in the moment. And as you know, if you're not there with the horse, you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose it. You have to literally be there and, and show it where you want to go and, and kind of, you know, guide it to what, whatever it is that, that you're doing with that animal. So um, yeah, that's what I love about them. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's so true. I always say like, after I go a few months without riding, I, I can sense that it's time for me to go back because there's nothing more therapeutic and freeing than being out there with a horse. There's nothing else you can think about, but you know, okay. Or is the saddle put on correctly? Like, okay, am I riding correctly? If my, if I'm posting or, you know, going up and down, going with the horse, are they on the right lead whatever? So, um, 
Felipe, thank you so, so much for, for your time. I, I can't explain the, how, how awesome this conversation was for me. And, and just like, what an honor to be able to talk to you, man. Like really, really awesome. Thank you. Thank you. No, man. Thank you so much. The honor's all mine. And I hope we get to meet uh, in December down in uh, Sacramento. I think it's going to be awesome to, to me personally. And best of luck with, uh, with the podcast. Can't wait to listen. <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah.